0: Lot Talk Radio.
1: gentlemen welcome to another episode of the good life podcast with mike Safosnik. beautiful little chilly sunday morning here in new york city phone number as always 607-203-5330 started the show off a little nirvana i watched the documentary montage of heck by brett morgan i'm on this real like dark kick right now i gotta really start to start sounding a little cooler here on the podcast, but yes, I'm obsessed with documentaries and books. My life is broken down into two seasons baseball season and college basketball season. With baseball season in the rearview mirror, it's time to unfortunately tell Emma Watson, Demi Lovato, and all these other girls that I'll be unable to go on the dates that they're requesting with me for the next few months because my life will be completely consumed sadly with Kentucky Wildcat basketball. So you guessed it, we're gonna talk a little UK basketball right now. I'd like to welcome to the show author of like an amazing and entertaining book titled One and Fun: A Behind-the-Scenes Look at John Calipari and the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Let me uh, put on the show right now, my man Aaron Torres. Aaron, what's going on, brother?
0: Uh, not much, Mike. I do have one quick request. Uh, if Emma Watson is now available, you, uh, you're more than welcome to give her my phone number if that's cool. I mean, I, I hope I'm not crossing any uh, boundaries here, but I, I'm just throwing that out there. If you're going to be busy, I think I can make a few minutes. Listen, you wrote a book
1: about Kentucky basketball. I'll allow you to date Emma Watson. It's okay. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. How you doing? Always good. Now listen, before we talk about the book, tell everybody listening, who is Aaron Torres.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I think I'm a, I'm a lot like you. Uh, not a huge baseball fan, but just in the sense that um, I actually grew up in the Northeast. I uh, grew up loving college basketball. Um, you know, didn't grow up necessarily a Kentucky fan, but, but I've always loved the sport. And, you know, as I kind of began my career, transitioned into my career, um, you know, really got to cover this sport and cover these teams and, and, and you know, really get to know the sport really well. And, you know, one of the first years that I actually did this as a professional job was the year that John Calipari took over, uh, you know, at Kentucky. with the 2009-2010 season. And, you know, I always remembered in the back of my head how much fun that team was, how dynamic they were, how, you know, a storm of crazy good coach bringing in crazy good talent to a fan base that, as you know, Michael, um, you know, just, just had been dying for something like this. So I always remember that team. Never thought I'd ever write a book about them, you know, but, but you know, the years go on, all that stuff. I began working at Fox probably uh, about two years ago, and as last season kind of started, I, I was really talking to my editors about what are we going to do this year uh, this and that, and, and I really just thought back to that first season, and, and I we all knew last year, come, you know, around this time, that UK basketball was going to be good. They had this great recruiting class, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Tyler Eulis. they have these guys coming back, Willie Cauley-Stein, the Twins, and I said, you know what, let's do a story, rather than focusing on this team, let's do a story on the team that started it all. Let's, let's try to track down as many of those guys, the John Walls, the Patrick Patterson, the DeMarcus Cousins talk about this incredible team, this incredible season, um, and do a story about it. And so I did a story for Fox Sports. Again, didn't think anything of it. But, you know, as the season wound down and as I really reflected back on that story, I really thought, you know what, there is so much good information here. There are so many good details that a fan of Kentucky basketball would want to know. Started plugging away about six, seven months ago, and here we are now in uh, early early November as we get ready for the start of another season, and this book is ready and available for purchase.
1: Now I'll make you laugh. Um, I was on vacation. I'm in Thailand, and I'm in an airport, and I have like maybe 45 minutes to kill. I'm on Twitter, and obviously I'm on Cameron Mills's page, and he has you sure. in studio. So I I know nothing about the book. Aaron, I'm actually boarding the plane, and I just downloaded the book on my Kindle, and I'm like, nice. okay. Uh, obviously it's one and done. It's about the 2000. I thought it was about the championship team, the Kid Gilcrest, the Anthony Davis team. So I start sure. reading it. And I'm like, I was pleasantly surprised. That it was about the John Wall. <laughs> Demarcus Cousins team. Now, let me ask you, what made this team so captivating that you had to write a complete book about them? Because I read your article; your article was awesome. What made this team so special? You want to do the whole book on them?
0: Yeah, I mean, what it really boils down to is when I went into this, I thought, okay, great story here, dynamic personalities: John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, Patrick Patterson. Um, You know, and but but because of a lot of the things that you probably thought as as a fan. Well, they didn't win the championship. Well, you know, all those players were only together one year. Does the, does one season, the 2010 season, really deserve its own book? And you know, in the back of my head, um, you know, that was a big concern of mine. Is is our fans going to be into this because it's not the championship season? Um, you know, they, I had a lot, I had a lot of questions myself, but what it really boiled down to is what I said in the last answer. When I finished that original article, you know, the the article got great response. And one thing that I learned through that article was how beloved that team still is, and I. Uh, For anyone who's heard me do these interviews, I've said this a lot, but, you know, I had no idea how beloved that 2010 team was. I I just always assumed that, you know, 96, they win the championship. 2012 with Anthony Davis, they win the championship. Those are the teams that kind of live on in memory and in in infamy in Kentucky. What I didn't realize was that 2010 team holds a special place uh, in the heart of Kentucky fans everywhere. Um, You know, I compare it now as the author of the book to – Uh, somebody's first love, their first girlfriend. You know, you move on, but you never forget. And that's really been the response to this book is that, you know, we didn't think we needed a book about this team, but now that we have it, I can't put this book down. Um, You know, that's really what it comes down to is – is there were so many interesting details about that team, about how Coach Cal got to campus, about how the players got there, about how the team came together, how the veterans kind of combined with the younger players, about what happened when the game started, road trips, uh, locker room stuff. I just had so much good information. That's what happens, you know, when you do enough of these interviews and you talk to 12, 15, 20, 25 guys, whatever it ended up being, you know, I, it was just one of those things where I had so much good stuff. I was like, I'd be out of my mind to not at least try this, now that I've done it, I'm so happy that I have because people are starting to get the book. I'm starting to hear back from people like you, Michael, that have read it and love it and are responding and are uh, recommending it to friends, and so I'm so glad I did it. That's really the only reason why was because I thought, you know what, I have so much good stuff. The article the article got so much great response, and oh, by the way, the article didn't have like 80% of the good stuff that I knew uh, was, was, you know, there was just so much stuff, you know, I always use you example, but you know, the Houston for Haiti situation where the team raised a million dollars for charity, which in and of itself is amazing. I'm talking about it like it's no big deal. But, you know, there's a team They raise a million dollars. They get a call from President Obama. Um, you know, it's this incredible thing, right? Well, in the original story that I wrote, it was probably 200 words, 250 words. I'm like, mm-hmm. excuse the language, Michael. I hope I can swear on this podcast. But I'm like, shit, man. Like, this is like – this is like – five thousand words of good content here and i have to cram it into you know two thousand words to make it fit or two hundred words excuse me to make make it fit for the web it made no sense there was just so much good stuff you know and i'm going to brag a little bit here i reported my ass off on that story and at the end i had so much good stuff that i was like i would be out of my mind to not pursue something uh which is exactly what i did and as i said the response so far has been incredible
1: now, you set it up perfectly with so many good details in it because there's a few interesting things in this book. The biggest for me, which I didn't know, and it bothers me because I should know this, how close, <laughs> was, how close was Tom Izzo to really leaving Michigan State and coming to Kentucky before Coach Cal?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it, um, you know I, I talked to a few people about it. And, um, you know, and, and the funny thing is I even went back afterward, after the fact, And, um, you know, and and did some research. And, you know, Tom Izzo has kind of loosely referenced this situation. He's loosely referenced that, um, you know, there was a time, if you remember, um, the following, um, you know, the following summer was the year that LeBron left Cleveland the first time to go to Miami. So that was the summer of 2010, the year after Coach Cal's first season at Kentucky. And if you go back, Tom Izzo almost took the Cleveland Cavaliers job back then. And the reason I bring that up is because in the article he references you know I've been really close in recent years to considering leaving Michigan State to begin with um, and, and he says for other college jobs so the reason I bring that up is because he's kind of even loosely referenced it in the media but you know from talking to multiple people um, you know the people that were behind that search which was um, you know Mitch Barnhart who's obviously still there uh, Lee Todd who I believe is no longer the president of the school but you know that they had really they had really narrowed it down to two or three people one of them was Billy Donovan and you know there's so much interesting history there that that could be its own article is you know Billy Donovan obviously was kind of the chosen one the one that everyone in Lexington wanted originally when Billy Gillespie took the job and then again when Coach Cal took the job and you know for whatever reason you know he made it pretty clear that he wasn't leaving Florida um, you know I never really dug too much into it but it was very clear very early on but what happened with Tom Izzo is that, you know, I think that from everything that I've heard, everything that I've read, everyone that I talked to, he was interested in that job and that two thousand nine season, um uh the two thousand nine season, which was obviously the year that Coach Cal got hired, um, you know, he has Michigan State and he ha- he takes them on this wild NCAA tournament run where they actually end up knocking off of all teams Louisville in the Elite yeah. Eight. <laughs> yes. So so they knocked off Louisville So, first of all, you know, everyone in Lexington is rejoicing as it is because Louisville is out of the tournament. And inadvertently, whether anybody knew it at the time, and I don't think anybody did, what ended up happening is Tom Izzo couldn't really uh, apply or interview for the Kentucky job. Coach Cal comes in, he blows everybody away. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't know exactly what he said in the interview, but I think he basically said, look, I've been recruiting my ass off at at Memphis. I'm going to get players. We're going to turn this thing around right away. Um, And as Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports, Sports radio told me he said, "Look, Coach Cal is the only one that could, could have come in and done that at that exact moment, brought in that group of players that he obviously already had committed to him at Memphis." So that's not to say that Tom Izzo couldn't have eventually turned things around, but you know, Coach Cal, like I said, came in, blew everybody's socks off, and uh, you know, a couple days later, he's being introduced as the head coach at Kentucky.
1: So thankfully, our savior, our coach, Coach Cal, comes to Lexington. You mentioned it a few times in the book. And you nailed it perfectly. I want you to enhance it a little more. When you said Coach Cal, quote, unquote, got it, what does that mean when you say he got it to the Kentucky fan base?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think, look, you know, being down there, um, you know, I've been a few times to cover different events, but this this year I was down there for the Big Blue Madness event for um, the NBA exhibition game between the uh, Pelicans and the Kings. And when I say he got it, it's just being the coach at Kentucky – It's just such an all-encompassing job. It is, you are on-call, public figure, uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So there is no private time. There is no, you know, as we learned with Billy Gillespie, you can't go out to the bar and have a few too many drinks (laughs) uh, because – everybody's watching. This isn't College Station. You know, this isn't Tuscaloosa where nobody really cares about basketball. You know, there are a lot of places where the basketball coach can pretty much come and go as he pleases. Lexington, as you know, Michael, is not one of them. So I think Coach Cal got the, the, the big picture of, um, you know, just what the expectations are of the fan base, um, what the responsibilities are that come with the job, that you're a public figure, that you're always on call, that you're always being watched. And, you know, really um, – it's something I didn't really get into the book, but, you know, it's just I, what I'm so impressed by with him is the way he's taken it to another level through the years. You know, all this stuff with the NBA Combine and with the Big Blue, you know, Caribbean Tour last summer, you know, he just gets that this this program is more than just a basketball program. It's a spectacle. And, you know, it's so incredible to me that, that you know, I'm sure it's not just him, but, you know, the fact that he got the Big Blue Madness event broadcast on the SEC network, that all these exhibition games are broadcast on the SEC network, that the Big Blue Bahamas tour was on the Big Blue uh, was on the SEC network. You know, he understands that there is a want and a need and uh, a, a, a craving for Kentucky basketball and he feeds that craving. And the other real quick thing on that is just that you know, what I'm so impressed by is right now, as we talk in 2016, you know, for most coaches last year would have been more than a career. It was it was 38 and 0 it was a final four it was the brink of a championship a brink of a perfect season you know he's the only person in america that understands that at kentucky 38 and 0 was great 38 and 0 was incredible you guys will remember it forever but you're ready to talk 2016 right now and you know i think a lot of coaches would have gotten caught up in the hoopla caught up in the hype you know and it really felt like the day that those seven guys left last year he was already moving on to How do I get the next group of guys? You know, who am I going to get? He gets Jamal Murray. He gets this. He gets that. And all of a sudden, things keep rolling into this year. And I'm just so impressed by the fact that, you know, after everything that happened last year, he still embraces the expectations that come with 2016, the expectations of doing it again. The reality that whether he likes it or not, they're now a top-five team going into 2016, and I love that he embraces that. And that 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 all kind of feeds into the bigger picture of he gets it. He understands what this job is about. It's not about one year, one season, one title, one group of players. It's a never-ending quest, and, you know, it's 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 a gift and a curse. No matter what he does, you know, everyone's always going to want more. But I think fans, of course, do appreciate everything that he has done for that program. I love how
1: you mentioned it's a it's an all-consuming job. I think you mentioned it in the book or something. You walk around. You're a politician, baby. He has to kiss babies. He has to kiss <laughs> he does. He gets it. And I just love that he sets the bar so high for the fans because we don't expect anything else, which is absolutely absurd. And let me tell you one thing about the fan base is that obviously saying that Big Blue Nation is out of control, we're nuts, we're crazy is an understatement. I have a good, uh, when I went down to Kentucky a few times, I met this guy, Rupp Arena Mike. He gave me a ticket to the game. I saw him at the football game, and we're just, we're just talking. And he's like, Yeah, I'm plan. They plan, Kentucky fans plan their vacations around the game. He's taking his whole family out to Los Angeles to Pauly Pavilion to watch the UCLA game. People plan their vacations around this team, and that's what a lot of other fan bases don't get. The You were down there. Is Big Blue Nation insane? Is that an understatement?
0: You know, I think um, – so a couple things. One, I live in Los Angeles. I'm trying to do a signing around that UCLA game. So give him my information so he can come pick up a book. Um, i do that one. right now. <laughs> but two, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that is one of those elements that, you know, part of it is the cycle of the college basketball season. But it's something that, you know, it's so unique to college sports. And, and I think – I really think it's 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 unique to Kentucky and you just said it you know and and the thing that I've learned about this fan base is you know a great example of this is the s e c tournament right it's like People literally get one week of vacation a year, and they use it to go wherever Kentucky's (laughs) playing in the NCAA tournament. And sometimes they don't even have tickets for the games, or they can't afford tickets for the games, and they just go to be there, to be around other Kentucky fans. I don't think there's anything quite like it in sports. There's obviously big college football programs. Who you know go to bowl games and stuff like that, but you know Kentucky fans, whether it's the big, the the Bahamas trip last year, whether it's going to up to New York once or twice a year, you know, I, you know that that um, 2009 2010 season they played a game at Madison Square Garden against UConn. I grew up in Connecticut. Full disclosure, I hate to admit it publicly, but I went to UConn. I know that school really well. And UConn fans take pride in saying, we, we, we own the garden. We 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 run this place. And when Kentucky played them there in 2009, 2010, it was 90% Kentucky fans. It was insane. It was royal blue everywhere. And that, you're absolutely right, Mike. That is something that people don't fully realize, they don't fully appreciate. Is that this is this is a 24 hour thing? This is we plan our vacations around this. Um, you know we take our holidays around the NCAA. You know it's just it is what it is. It's I think it's totally unique to Kentucky basketball. I'm not saying it makes them the best fan base, quote unquote, in the world, but you know it just it's so hard to think of something comparable when you put it like that. Like because of the reason that you just said.
1: I went to Europe in April and we were supposed to leave three days early, and I actually po- not postponed the trip, but I. Booked the trip a day after the, the national championship game. I I couldn't have missed it. But now listen, whenever I do a Kentucky-based show, like most of the listeners are diehard Kentucky fans, Big Blue Nation. So I'm going to pick out a couple of things in the book, and if you can enhance that yeah. and talk more about it. One of my favorite moments of that O nine ten 9 10 season was the DeMarcus Cousins call me game. Can you explain yeah. to everybody what that game is? I love that. I love that game.
0: Yeah, a lot of people do. Um yeah. So the real quick backstory, because there's a backstory that a lot of people know, and then there's kind of the the end to the story, which a lot of people don't know. So I love telling this story. So the the, the backstory, which a lot of people know, is uh, towards the end of the year, Kentucky's either the number one team in the country or the top five, and you know it's really the start of this this era where every time Kentucky goes on the road, it is it shuts down the city. It's the biggest game that that town has ever had in the history of their program. Uh, you know, I, as I said in the book, you know, I don't know if Coach Cal had coined the term where we're everybody's Super Bowl. I don't know if he had coined the term by that point, but if he hadn't, uh, you know, that's when it started to come to fruition. So, you know, the, the Kentucky gets to go on the road. You know, most of America, for whatever reason, doesn't like DeMarcus Cousins. They think he's this big bully, he's this big this, he's this big that. You know, Kentucky fans obviously know that that's not true at all. But so the reason I bring it up is because um, right before the game, as the team's getting ready to leave, DeMarcus Cousins' phone starts ringing, and it's a <laughs> phone number that he doesn't know. And so he picks it up, and it's a Mississippi State fan. And then he hangs up, and another one calls, another one calls, another one calls. So the Mississippi State fan base, the students, had gotten DeMarcus Cousins' phone number. You know, Nobody knows how, nobody knows where, but they just start calling him and calling him and calling him and calling him. And you know, obviously, um, you know, for anyone else, it would be a big distraction. You know, I think DeMarcus had some fun with it. He started, you know, picking up the calls, some of them. But you know, they get on the team plane, and he gets off the plane, and there's just, uh, you know, his voicemail box is full, and so they, he, you know, people, they keep calling him, and it's this, it's this incredible thing where, you know, finally the team gets to the arena. It's a huge game. It's an ESPN game. You know, I think, you know, uh, Dick Vitale might have been there, whatever, and you know. So So it's early in the game, DeMarcus has been getting never-ending phone calls. You know, it got to the point on the team bus on the way over, like, everyone's like, who are you on the phone with? And it turns out it's Mississippi State fans. So um, early in the game, um, you know, there's this, um, you know, there's a loose ball and they, you know, uh, you know, this is during the game. Uh, I think it was John Wall actually uh, took a jumper, missed it. DeMarcus grabs it, throws down this Vicious dunk, then he before he turns to run back up the court, he just turns towards the student section, puts you know a uh, hand up to hand up to his ear, and says and screams, "Call me, you know like to the whole student section so uh you know the best part was that that the his teammates do exactly what they were what he was doing they were all doing the call me thing on the on the uh on the bench, and you know it's crazy because when I was down there, demarcus uh you know was obviously down there playing for the kings. And you know he actually, um, you know he actually has now, as a professional, six seven years later, started selling T-shirts with the call me on it. So you know I'm, I think you can get them at demarcuscousins.com. I actually uh, picked one up myself while I was down in uh, while I was down in Lexington. But the funny backstory to that, which a lot of people don't know, is that so you have this crazy situation, call me. Uh, you know, dunks, puts his hand up to the crowd. It becomes a national story. You know, you can see on YouTube. There's videos of that night Sports Center. And Scott Van Pelt knows exactly what he's doing and references it on that night Sports Center. But what's crazy is what people don't know is after the game, people are still calling him. He's still picking up the phone. And according to. More than one person on the team, he didn't even change his phone number when he got back to Lexington. He kept the same phone number, and, I mean, I guess he probably still got calls throughout the year, but, you know, it was just quintessential to Marcus is like, you know, he's not going to let a couple fans intimidate him. He's going to have fun with it. And then, oh, by the way, he didn't even, even end up changing his phone number when it was all said and done.
1: I That's one of my favorite stories, and I mean that throughout the whole season. That's just a great moment. And the other thing that this got a lot of flack from – People who hate Kentucky and want to just say how Coach Cal ruined college basketball. But take me through that famous John Wall dance when he gets introduced at Big Blue Madness.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, that was even for an outsider like me, that was a pretty signature moment because you hear about these recruits. And, you know, I think this was even back in a time in 2010, 2009 doesn't seem that long ago. I can't speak for you, Mike, but I didn't follow recruiting back then nearly as closely as I do now, because you not know we close. now not even close. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, now we kind of have this understanding that whether it's a Carl a Anthony Towns or a Ben Simmons or a Scal or a Jamal Murray, we're only going to get these guys for one year. And we start kind of figuring out who these guys are when they're, you know, sophomores or juniors in high school. And, you know, we kind of follow them through the ranks. You know, I feel like I've been he- hearing Harry Giles name for 10 years now, you know, and he's yeah. not even in college yet. So, um, so, yeah, so I had heard of John Wall. I can't say that I knew anything about him. But, you know, as a fan, I remember it, and obviously I got into it quite a bit at the book, but in the book is that, you know, um, it was crazy because it was the first Big Blue Madness under Coach Cal. And to really understand it, what you need to know is that, you know, under previous coaches, Big Blue Madness was kind of this, this headache of an event, right? Like, it's something you have to do because the fans want it. But, you know, Billy Gillespie isn't the kind of guy that wants to get up there in front of 24,000 and dance and make a speech and do something funny, you know. And a lot of coaches embrace it, you know, not just Coach Cal, but I know Tom Izzo, ironically enough, has done a lot in the past, done a lot of goofy stuff. Uh, you know, Bill Self has done cool stuff. And so Coach Cal actually understood, you know what, this is a fan, uh, an event for the fans. Let's embrace it. Let's do something fun. So, the day before the event, um you know Coach Cal and you know his brain trust in the athletic department, they basically tell the players, "Oh, by the way, you guys are going to start up in the rafters you 're going to descend down from the court in these you know these little dolly things that are totally you know probably not safe and you know they went through <laughs> um you know safety procedures and all that, but it 's like you know it 's like whatever you know I- obviously." Um, you know, anything Anything could, in theory, go wrong. But, you know, a lot of the players are hesitant. You know, DeMarcus Cousins was terrified, didn't want anything to do with it. But, you know... Um As the players are kind of being introduced and coming down, you know, the spotlight gets flashed on John Wall. And again, I I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that we didn't follow recruiting nearly as closely back then. We don't really know much about him. We hear he's a great player. We hear he's a a future lottery pick. We hear he's a one-and-done kind of guy, but I didn't know anything about him, what his personality was like, anything like that. And the spotlight flashes on him, and he does a little thing where he kind of bobs his knees, and he makes a fist, and then he turns it out, and he makes a fist, and he turns it out, and he's doing the John Wall dance, and the crowd obviously goes nuts. And you guys all know, you guys are all Kentucky fans, you guys all remember. Um, but it was it was an incredible moment. It was this moment that, you know, at, at fans across the country, across the world, you know, I'm sure you were probably doing it over in New York City. Oh, yeah. Michael. <laughs> I, you know I mean it it was this incredible moment right you know and it was just um it was just one of, it was just one of those incredible moments that you know you really um you know what I loved about it is you know obviously you know John had put some preparation into it but you know you can't you know you can't um you can't fake the excitement and the enthusiasm and you know it's just funny because You know, we now look at John Wall as this all-star guy that makes millions of dollars. But, you know, at that point in his life, he really was just a kid. And he really was just having fun, embracing the moment, loving life. And, you know, I I just love every second of that. And just really what it represents is that, as you said, you know, kind of people don't like Coach Cal. People don't like his system, whatever. But in that specific moment, this was an 18-year-old kid in front of 24,000 people. And he was having the time of his life. And God bless him for it. Now, I'm joined by Aaron Torres, author of the book,
1: One in Fun, a behind-the-scenes look at John Calipari in 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Besides the book, tell everybody about the website because your website's awesome. It gives you the top 10 highlights plus more because they're the ones that just missed the cut of the 09 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. It gives a good YouTube video of everyone doing this said John Wall dance all <laughs> over the country on the Great Wall of China here and there. So tell everybody about your website.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, it's K- KentuckyBasketballBook.com. Uh, I got a lot of flack for that because everyone was like, how was that website even available? <laughs> um, so so when I went on the radio down in Kentucky, a lot of people were giving me flack for that. But, um, yeah, it's KentuckyBasketballBook.com. Um, it's really cool. Like you said, there's excerpts. There's information on why I decided to write the book, a lot of the stuff that we've gotten into. I actually probably need to do a better job of uh, updating it because we've done a lot of um, – you know, I've done a lot of new stuff since then, a lot of interviews, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was really just there with the intention of giving fans an understanding of what the book is, why I decided to do it, um, you know, who I am, what my background is, what my qualifications are to write it. Um, you know, and I would encourage people who uh, are not familiar with the website to, um, to actually check it out. Because, and the reason is because, you know, one, first of all, there's a personalized email address. Um it's Kentucky Basketball Book at Gmail Very easy to remember. If anybody has any questions, I answer those emails all myself. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, uh, also, there's availability for anyone who Um, You know, who wants to to get a personalized copy of the book, you know, for friends, for family, you can order it through there. I I send all those out myself. So if you want an autographed uh, copy for for mom or for dad or for your brother or your sister when when this, uh, you know, Christmas season is coming up, I can do that there too. Uh, Also, there's a mailing list. I would encourage everyone to subscribe there. Uh, I'm going to be doing some giveaways, some promos around the holiday season. So I definitely recommend uh, people to check that out. But yeah, the website is KentuckyBasketballBook.com all that information is there. And like I said, I, I really do encourage everyone to check it out because, um, you, know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a one-stop shop for everything that's going on with the book. And I really do think, um, you know, you're going to learn quite a bit but also, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be beneficial to you because, you know, you're going to be in the loop as we get, you know, as things get uh, busy during the holiday season and you're going to want a copy of this book. Uh, you're going to want a copy of the book for friends, family, whatever. It's a great gift. It's whatever. And I just think, you know, this is a great place for you to kind of, um, you know, again, have a, a an understanding of what we're doing and, and how we're trying to get the word out about this book. I'm literally trying to do anything I can to get the word out. So, uh, you know, that's where you're going to get the information, and, and, you know, obviously, it goes without saying. I know the conversation isn't done, but I appreciate you having me this morning, Mike, because I love talking about this book and love talking about this team.
1: Now, how are sales doing? If you don't, like, obviously, in Kentucky, they're doing great, but how are they doing everywhere else?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I'm very happy with where sales are at right now, you know, and I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head is that, um, you know, at one point, it was, the number four book on Amazon for all basketball books. So I was really happy with that. It was ahead of, you know, Phil Jackson and, um, you know, Bill Simmons and all that, but, um, you know, hit number four at one point, the Kindle version and the paperback were both in the top 10 individually. So that was really cool. Um, you know, and, and what, what's been very nice for me is, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about it the other day, is that, you know, college basketball season really hasn't even started yet. Like, college basketball isn't on the forefront of anybody's mind, so I have a feeling, one, as we get towards the holidays, and then two, as we get towards February and March, I, I'm really hoping to kind of take this on a national scale. I've talked to a few national outlets that are, you know, more than willing to help me as we get closer to the start of the season, but, you know, um, it, that's really what it boils down to is, it's, the sales have been great in Kentucky, but I want to get the word out, because I think, Michael, if you you could speak to this, if you're a college basketball fan, regardless of whether you're a Kentucky fan or not, you are going to love this book. You know, this is the type of thing that, um, you know, I I know you work in, in, I believe, law enforcement, Mike, and, you know, this is the type of book that's going to get passed around. You know, my buddy's a firefighter, passed around the the firehouse. Guys are going to read it. Guys are going to want to check it out. Um, If you love sports, if you love college basketball, if you just love, that's been my thing all along if you just love a good story about a good group of dudes having fun living their lives this is a book that you're going to want to get um, so sales have been really good but I also just think that they're going to the best is yet to come because I really think on a national scale I haven't even really tried to really promote it on a national scale because I know that college basketball is still not on the forefront of anyone's minds at this point
1: point. and the one thing you have that sucks for me and Kentucky fans a buddy of mine is a diehard hard Tar Heel fan loves North Carolina I'm like, I'm telling about this book. I'm like, dude, it gives you great insight about recruiting Cal Parry. He's like, oh, I'll read it, especially since K- Kentucky lost in the end. So it's not that fairy tale story that you have to read that Kentucky wins the championship. They lose to West there Virginia, <laughs> so, so everyone's happy towards the end. Now, listen, the book has a lot of big personalities, obviously. I think you captured them all tremendously. You didn't just focus on one guy. I love the part when you said Coach Cal made Kentucky cool again. And here's what's funny. I never knew that they weren't cool. In New York, you know, you you up in the Northeast. In New York, college basketball, it's not – everyone likes it, but no one lives and dies for it. So I wore Kentucky stuff. It was never cool. It's still not cool. But now you see more kids. You see a few years ago when Gillespie was there, even Tubby Smith, no stores in New York sold Kentucky stuff. He did make it cool again. And how do you think, besides getting Drake, do you think him getting LeBron to come, all that is what factored into making Kentucky quote-unquote cool again?
0: That is, you know, that goes back to, um, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, Coach Cal understanding what Kentucky basketball is about, and it's really funny because I've really, honestly, I've, I, this is going to sound so lame and like I'm such a freaking fanboy, but it's not. In, <laughs> in my, seriously, in my approach to marketing this book, I think to myself what would Coach Cal do? Like, how would he, what would he do to get word out about this book? Because he is, you know, and people say this, but it's true, he is, I think, the best marketer in sports. And, and not that his product needs marketing, but it's, it's kind of what I'm saying with this book, right? Everyone's a diehard Kentucky fan, but how do I make it cool for the kid in L.A. or Chicago or New York to wear Kentucky gear? How do I make them the the default team that when you grow up without a college basketball team that you're going to start rooting for Kentucky? And he has done that. And, you know, it's so interesting to me, you know, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but, excuse me, this UCLA game that, that we mentioned, you know, I'm starting to wonder, Kentucky already plays in New York this year when they play Ohio State. They already play in Chicago when they play Duke. They play in Miami. And now they're playing in L.A. this year, too. And I really think that it's just Coach Cal's way of kind of branding Kentucky nationally. Um, And so I think you're exactly right. You know, it's the cool school right now. You know, I don't have any children of my own, but I assume that a lot of kids that are young that – don't have a team to root for. They have to be rooting for Kentucky, right? I mean, how can you not love the John Walls and the Carl Anthony Towns and the Nerlens Noels and the Anthony Davises and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist? I mean, every year they have dynamic players, dynamic personalities. I think he's done an incredible job, and, in, you know, the word branding gets overused in sports these days, but I really think he's done an incredible job branding Kentucky basketball because it really does seem like, you know, everywhere you go um, – You know, people are now wearing Kentucky gear, and I'm curious to know if it extends, you know, beyond international borders now with guys like Jamal Murray on campus and, um, you know, Scal and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of the United Nations of Kentucky right now with all the international players that they have. But, um, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Michael. You know, he's just done an incredible job of making this the cool school, the school that, you know, I really think that fans, even outside of Kentucky, really kind of enjoy uh, watching and enjoy you know, rooting for, I guess.
1: It's funny. I was in the NBA store a couple days ago, and two, three years ago, you walked in, it was LeBron and Kobe, you know, you get some Durant, and now when you walk in, there's a Carl Anthony Towns jersey next to a John Wall one, and upstairs, there's the DeMarcus Cousins jersey. There's jerseys of players, of teams, that you, you never saw a Pelicans jersey. You have never seen a Kings jersey or a Wizards jersey on the forefront, and here they are, a Minnesota Timberwolves shirt up front, like, what he's doing is yeah. making all, all these kids like, all right, I don't like the Bulls, but they're pretty cool. They got Carl Towns. He, he He's doing something that's just phenomenal. And you made a statement in the book, and explain it to me. I know what you meant, but explain to everyone listening. You said that he, that that team changed modern college basketball. It forever changed with that team. Explain what that meant.
0: Yeah, you know, I've gotten a lot of, a lot of interesting response to this, and it's all been positive. So it, you know, it hasn't necessarily been a negative thing. But you know, I, you just look back to that time frame, that two thousand eight, two thousand, you know, really when the one and done rule came into place, and I guess it was for the two thousand and sixties or something. Um, you know, it, everyone just kind of assumed that you know there was just this very bad stigma to being a one and done player, that. The kids didn't care about the school that um you know that they didn't care about the program that they weren't going to class that you know they that, that that they 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 were just not good kids or they were selfish or they were whatever and so i I think this team really changed it in two ways first of all i I think as much as any group this group is the face of the one and done um you know the one and done rule it is you know it, it is the fact that this was the first time really that three or four of these guys came together. You knew you were only going to have them for one year. And everyone put their egos aside and said, let's do what's best for this team, what's best for this program, et cetera. And, oh, by the way, as I mentioned – they can still be good kids. You know, John Wall, you know, I always say this, but, you know, John Wall just gave $400,000 to charity about a month ago. You know, that's not a bad person. DeMarcus Cousins, anyone who knows him knows is not a bad person. Eric Bledsoe, quiet kid, but he's not a bad person. You can go to school for one year, and you could still do all your coursework You can still be a good citizen. You can stay out of trouble off the court. You can be a good player and a good teammate on the court. But what I really think it really changed was the idea, and and this is more Coach Cal than anything, it's just this idea that it's wrong to only want to do that. And, you know, I think the greatest testament, as ironic as it sounds, the greatest testament to what Coach Cal does and the way that he has transformed the sport is what Duke is now basically copying his blueprint verbatim. Like, like you know, it started with the Kyries and the Jabari Parkers and stuff like that, but Duke just had a season where they won a national championship with three freshmen in their starting lineup who have now gone on to the NBA level. You know, three or four years ago, Kentucky was the only one even trying to do that, and everyone had this... this perception of oh it's coach cal you know we, you know getting kids in and pushing them out and nobody cares and it's, it's like and it's like no he's actually doing what's best for the kids a lot of them only need to be on campus one year i think it's safe to say that carl has any talents didn't need a second year of college basketball considering that he's averaging you know like 24 points a game or whatever the hell he's averaging. i don't know if it's quite that high it's like 17 and 10 though i mean he's had you know a Double double every time he's a walking double double every time he steps on the court. But, um, you know, I, so it really comes down to that is that, you know, they, they had the, there was this perception that, that one and done kids were bad, that they didn't care, that they were not good kids. And that team changed it, and that team really opened up the door for more teams to kind of open, you know, kind of take on this philosophy and now it's something you see Kansas doing you know you see um you know Arizona doing you see Duke doing um you know other schools are willing to embrace one and done kids you know Cal the Cal University has a couple kids that I think frankly Kentucky wanted last recruiting cycle but that are probably only going to be there one year and I think that a lot of college basketball fans and, and coaches now understand that you know what give me the best players even if I'm only there for a year uh you know we're happy to have them because um you know, they, they, they can be good kids and they can be good players and they can only be here one year. And so I think that group, as much as anybody, really kind of changed that perception and changed that culture.
1: And it's funny, you don't hear anybody else saying now how Kentucky's ruining college basketball anymore. No one, no one's saying that on every post, everything on Twitter, that Kentucky ruins college basketball because every team now is doing the one and done. Everyone wants to get these Kentucky players.
0: Well, and it's really funny that you say that on this specific morning because on, uh, I guess it was Thursday or Friday whenever Harry Giles committed to Kentucky um or K- committed to Kentucky wow that's a big screw Dude, up I, I apologize i wish that. i wish <laughs> <laughs> that's a big screw up on my part i apologize for anybody listening i'm sure uh i am now persona non grata but you know so uh so um you know Matt Norlander from CBS Sports uh who's who i know pretty well actually Um, You know, he tweeted something about, you know, Coach K's on a crazy recruiting run the last few years, and he lists the names, you know, Kyrie, Austin Rivers, Jabari Parker, Jaleel Okafor, all the way down to Harry Giles, who committed to Duke on Friday. My bad, Duke. (laughs) Um, And, you know, he just says, what a ridiculous recruiting run. And then I kind of subtweeted him, you know, you know, Coach K, what a jerk! That guy's ruining college basketball. And obviously, about you know twenty Kentucky fans picked up on exactly what I was saying and exactly what I was doing, and uh, they they were cracking up and they were tweeting at me like you know you know that was a good one or you know good you know that I like that or I see what you did there or whatever they end up saying. But um, but uh, a lot of people did like that because you know it really is true is that. Um, you know, it turns out that John Wall didn't ruin college basketball, and neither did DeMarcus Cousins, and neither did Nerla Zalel, and neither did, you know, you know, did Gilchrist. And it, like I said, you know, these kids can be good kids, good players, good people, and not ruin the sport as we know it.
1: Now, a couple uh, of personal questions while I have you on the phone. Who was your mm-hmm? favorite person?
0: your favorite person to interview for this book, and why? So my favorite person, probably not who most people would expect, is that, Uh, My favorite person, maybe my favorite person on the entire planet, is uh, Dwayne Peavy, who was the sports information director that season. Um, And for anyone who's listening who doesn't really know the dynamics of of college sports and how they work, the sports information director is basically the person who handles all the interview requests, um, travels with the team, you know, in some cases may help with Ticket distribution, it really is kind of basically the right-hand man of the coach, Make sure that the players get to where they're supposed to go, all that stuff. So a lot of times when you see a, a coach being interviewed after a game and you see a guy in a suit behind him, that's the sports information director. So Dwayne was the sports information director that season and has since been promoted. He it, it still works at Kentucky, but in a different role. But, you know, so he was on the ground uh, during that season – um you know with the team everywhere they went from the day coach Cal got hired he was the one with coach Cal getting ready for that famous first you know press conference and you know uh, what was so interesting about Dwayne was that he was there, but he had also been there the year before with Coach Gillespie, and he had also, by the way, you know had a, this extensive career before that. So he had some perspective on that twenty, you know, two thousand nine, two thousand ten season that other people didn't have. But it was so interesting talking to him because he remembered all the details, and you know he's the one that remembers the locker room stuff, and he's the and 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 by the way he has an incredible memory, which helped me, and he's an incredibly dynamic and you know uh, he's got as big of a personality as any of those players did um but you know he was incredibly gracious with his time gave me a ton of insight and a ton of information and um you know he what was so interesting was that he was there from the beginning he was there the year before you know he told me and i don't even know if this actually made the book but the year before when he had coach gillespie um you know, he was almost pitching national outlets on Coach Gillespie's players rather than you know whole media, you know the whole world's media descending on Kentucky like they do now. He was pitching ESPN and Fox Sports and whoever else, like, hey, we got this guy Patrick Patterson, we got this guy Jody Meeks, check us out. You know, because it, it was just a, such a cultural difference. Um, you know, from the year before to the year after. So he was um, incredible. He gave me so much good insight. And actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this, he is where the name of the book actually came from. I have to give him credit on that one because in, in, in my time interviewing him, the one thing I took away, and this is a guy that has been there um, for the entire John Calipari era, and what he told me was this. He said, I have been here from the beginning. I was there in 2012 when we had the championship, but we as a group – have never had more fun than we did during the 2009-2010 season. And it, it, when you think about it, it makes sense because, you know, once you get to 2011, 2011 you make the Final Four with Brandon Knight, and then 2012, it championship or bust, the expectations are through the roof. You know, you get to last year, the pressure of trying to go 40-0, and 0, that's a lot of pressure. In the 2009-2010 season, it was just fun. Everyone was just having a good time. It was new for the fans. It was new for Coach Cal. It was new for the players. Even the players that had been there before had never really experienced anything quite like this, and it was really a joyride kind of season um, where, you know, I, I think I speak for the fans because I've spoken to enough of them who, who said it to me. You know, you weren't thinking about, boy, if we don't win the championship this year, man, what will, you know, you didn't think like that. It was just, it was fun. You were excited for the next game. You were excited to see what this group of clowns was going to do next and, you know, what they were going to say and, you know, for the people who were living it, it was the same exact deal. And whereas it became, you know, kind of a pressure-filled situation as the years went on, it was a lot different uh, during that 2009-2010 season. Um, and so, you know, I, I would say that Duane as much as anybody, was important to this book. You know, I don't know. I know for a fact that the original article that I wrote last March wouldn't have been half as good. Um Uh, you know, without Dwayne. And I I don't know if I would have done a book because I don't know if I would have felt like I really had a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, if it wasn't for Dwayne. So I think it was as important as anybody to me doing this book.
1: Now, I got you for a few minutes before the podcast turns off. Are you you working on any other books? (laughs) Um,
0: People are already asking me, you you should do one on 2012 or you should do one on 2015. Honestly, I'm not opposed to it. I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed every second of it. You know, I I know that the fans would love it, and I really think that the people of Kentucky would be pretty responsive to it. So um, I'm not going to say this is my first or last book. Uh, I'm just saying – um you know i want to get through this one first and if you guys as a fan base have a clamoring for more i'd be happy to do it because this has been such a fun experience for me i've loved every second of it my goal right now is to get this book to number 1 on all of amazon's basketball list uh you know to sell enough copies where maybe i can take a little tropical vacation and then uh you know re- reevaluate from there and kind of see what the deal is but no it was a blast and I would absolutely have no problem doing another one, and I think the fans have responded in such a way that leads me to believe that at some point I probably will do another one. I ask this
1: question to everyone on my show, and obviously you're not a professional athlete, or maybe you are, but I always love to get different answers. Right now, you and I are out. We're in New York City. We're at a bar. We want to impress somebody. You take your phone out. Who's the coolest person in your phone that you can text that'll text you right back? Because you met some cool people doing this. (laughs) So who's the... Right now, you, you take your phone out. You're like, look who I can text right now. Who's the coolest cat in your phone right
0: now? Well, you know, this is a really funny story. Um, I am now – you know, I now have a beautiful girlfriend that, um, you know, that I'm very happy with. But, you know, so well, smooth. I actually – So well, smooth. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, no. But listen, it's because <laughs> – I actually wrote a book three or four years ago, and it didn't turn out very well. And, you know, there was a lot of things that I would have done differently. This book I'm much more happy with. But it was so funny because I used to, you know, I used to go out when I, back in my younger single days. And, you know, um, you know, I would try to impress girls at a bar. And they'd say, well, you know, what do you do, blah, blah, blah. And, I, oh, you know, I'm a sports writer, blah, blah. Oh, like, have you done anything I've heard of? And I'm like, well, you know, I wrote this book. And, you know, I'm still a young guy. I'm only 30 now, so you can imagine when I'm 26, 27 – um, girls are like bullshit. You don't know what, you know, you're lying to people. So the coolest thing back in the day that I could have done was pull out amazon.com and pull up my <laughs> Amazon page. And, uh, you know, so it was funny cause, uh, one of my girl, you know, a, a, a friend who was female, not a girlfriend, but a girlfriend, she used to bust my balls about it. Cause she would be like, she'd be like, Oh, look at you Googling yourself in the bar trying to try to go off. And it's like, <laughs> Kind of flaunted. So that was back in the day, the coolest thing I could do. Um, I'm very lucky that I've met a lot of cool athletes and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know who would uh, get right back to me. There's there's a few guys I can think of, but you know, I'm lucky to say that you know, through through all my work, I've met a lot of cool people. Uh, you know, there's one guy that I'm thinking of specifically. I won't name his name. I'll just say NBA Hall of Famer who for some reason really likes me a lot. He put okay. on email. He's good on email. He would email me back pretty pretty quickly. I don't know if it's cool to say, hey, I'm gonna text, I'm gonna email this guy, and he's gonna email me back. But uh, I would just say there, <laughs> there's there's people in my phone, and I'm I'm really lucky to do what I do, and I love every second of it. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever answered that question on the podcast? I'd be curious for your answer
1: because I know Hold you've on. had some
0: pretty questions on the podcast. That's why I ask. Yeah, you know what? I have Pete Rose's phone
1: number, and he writes back. And this is the truth, Aaron. He writes back to stop texting him. So technically, he does write back to me. <laughs> because he's been, I, I wrote to him maybe around a year ago to come on. He wrote right back. He's like, I'll come on. And then every time we schedule something, it's another gambling thing or it's – he's on Fox. So I just text him almost every day, and he just writes back, I'm coming on. Stop texting me. So Pete Rose <laughs> does write back, and he's – Pete Rose is pretty pretty big. So I'll say right now, Pete Rose writes <laughs> back to me. Now, two more questions. Pete? Yes, Pete Rose. Peter Edward Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Are do- you a – are you a UConn fan or a Kentucky fan?
0: Alright, so three things. One, I work <laughs> at Fox and everybody there loves Pete Rose. Like Pete Rose is he's the oh, Terry Bradshaw of oh, baseball. Wow. He can do no wrong. The guy literally walked off set in the middle of the world series, he had three tickets in the middle of the world series and everyone was perfectly okay with it. Um so everybody loves Pete Rose. So To answer your question, um, I grew up a UConn fan. I still consider myself a UConn fan. I live in California now and work uh, at Fox, so it's less of a day-to-day, minute-to-minute thing. Uh, But what I have also heard quite a bit, you know, really since I started my writing career, uh, but specifically since I started this book, is a lot of people tell me that, that, hey, Torres, you're, quote-unquote, a closet Kentucky fan. And, you know, I don't know if I'm a... Closet fan. I mean, look, man. There are times, like, yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Last year, when they're 38 and 0 no and going for history, yeah, I'm rooting for them to get history. But what I would say is, I don't know if I'm a closet Kentucky fan, but what I will say is that I love Coach Cal and I love what he's done. I think it's so great for the sport. I think it's so great for sports in general when you have no choice but talk Kentucky basketball in the middle of July or in the middle of September or whenever it is that's not college basketball season and you're still talking Kentucky because Coach Cal um, you know, is setting up an, uh, a combine event or Coach Cal is showing up courtside at an NBA playoff game you know, I think he's great for the sport and I will say that I am an unap- unapologetic Coach Cal supporter. Um, I don't know that I'm a Kentucky fan necessarily but I do love everything that that guy's done since he's gotten to that school.
1: The last question, you probably get this all the time, but one thing you left out in the book that's either really cool or you wish you would have put it in the book?
0: I honestly there really there really isn't anything and, and I do get that question a lot and I'm frankly surprised by it because the whole reason I did a book was because I felt like there was so much good stuff that I left out of the article. Um, You know, the only thing that I would have liked to have done that I didn't get a chance to do, what would have been cool for me. um, I would have liked to talk to some of the older players. So, I mean, some of the younger players, excuse me, some of the Brandon Knights and Terrence Joneses and Deron Lambs and Michael kid Gilchrist Mm -hmm. and ask about how that 29, 2009, 2010 season, impacted their decision to go to Kentucky because, you know, a couple people reference this and it's so true, is that, you know, besides the kind of big picture uh, macro ways that that team influenced Kentucky basketball, there's the micro of the fact that the second that those guys left, you had guys like Brandon Knight and Deron Lamb and Michael K. Gilchrist who was a few years down the road. They all committed to Kentucky right after that. And so, that's the only thing I would have liked to have done. I don't know that I had any information that I didn't use know, uh, so I thought it was. <laughs> I I did this podcast last reason and um, you know, wanting to learn more information, and wanting to get to know more. And so, when you do the book, um, you know, when you do the book, you just, you're not going to leave anything out because that's the whole reason of doing a book. You know what I mean? And
1: let's finish with this. Plug the book because you can probably do it better than me. Tell everyone why you should buy the book, and tell everybody about the book, my man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the book is, again, One and Fun, a behind-the-scenes look at John Calipari and the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, It's available on Amazon. It's available um, at KentuckyBasketballBook.com. All I want to say is this. We talked about why Kentucky is going to love it. Look, if you love college basketball, if you love Kentucky, this is a book that you absolutely have to have. You can go on Amazon, you can see the reviews in real time. I will send you reviews written by Kentucky fans who love it. It's just a great trip down memory lane for Kentucky fans about a season and a team that they will never forget. Like I said, it's almost for many fans like their first true love, like their first, you know, you you move on, but you never really forget about it. Um, It's going to make a great Christmas gift. It's going to make a great stocking stuffer. There's no reason that you can't pick it up today. Um, You know, read it yourself, pass it along, whatever the case is. People are going to love this book. It's just about getting the word out and getting people getting their hands on it. Once you get it, you're not going to be able to put it down. As Michael said, you know, I don't know if you read it cover to cover in one sitting or not, but, you know, people are telling me that they can't put this thing down. So it's uh, one in front of behind the scenes look at John Calipari and the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats, available on Amazon, KentuckyBasketballBook.com. You better pick your copy before Christmas. That's all I'm going to say.
1: No, wait, don't hang
0: up because there's one last thing. I, I listened to you on a
1: few different podcasts. What's the deal, and I know you have a girlfriend now, with the girl at Rafferty's? Because I'm friends with Sean, the manager at Rafferty's, Sean <laughs> Listen, listen, I love Rafferty's. Whenever I go down there, Sean takes care of me. It, it's the best place down there. I heard you were in Rafferty's almost every night. What's the story with Rafferty's before we hang up?
0: Yeah, you know, um, so first <laughs> of all, it's not quite as dramatic as a lot of people think that it is. Okay. I mean, so, so the truth was... Um, I came down in twenty twelve, uh Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio invited me down and you know, uh you know, I, I I had a lot of Kentucky followers just through Matt. Matt's been great to me throughout my career. He wrote the foreword of this book. I love him to death. I would, you know, take a bullet for, I mean, I love that guy. I mean he's really done as yeah, he's much a good for dude. my career. He's a good dude. He's done as much for my career as anybody on this planet and I am forever indebted to him. What I would also say about Matt is that he has a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. He um he's a great radio host and that's what makes him great is that he um he uh he uh you know he he just he loves playing stuff up and he's a great radio host and I love him to death. So what happened was um, you know, on Twitter before I came down, I said, you know, hey, uh, you know, any Kentucky fans that follow me, which was obviously not that many at that point. There was probably a couple dozen, but um, you know, hey, um, you know, if anyone has any hotel recommendations, blah blah blah, let me know. So our mutual friend Sean gets right back to me. Hey, DM me, I, I can help you out. So he, DM, so I DM him. He says, okay, look, I work at this restaurant, blah blah, right across the street. I can help you out. Call them, give them my name. We'll get something set up. So. I do it. It's amazing. It's incredible. We get it set up and I end up obviously, you know, like, so I'm in Kentucky and, you know, the first night I think I go out and get drinks with Matt. The second night, you know, I I check into this hotel in Lexington and, you know, um, and, uh, and, you know, Sean says, come down, blah, blah, blah. So I go down there for probably a couple hours, grab a few drinks. So the third night was the night of the game, and I, you know, immediately following the game, I write up my story. You know, I was writing a story for Kentucky Sports Radio. It's still available online; you can still get it. And so Sean says, you know, come over have a few beers. So I come over have a few beers, and you know, one beer turns into two, and two turns into five, and they're like rabbits; they start multiplying really quick. So I had ma- I had made Matt a promise that I was going to, you know, meet up with him later, and, uh, you know, I had a few too many drinks to my name that night, and obviously this was pre-Uber, you know, you had to, like, Google a cab company and find a cab, and so I just never ended up making it over there. So Matt has always said, you know, like, oh, something must have happened at Rafferty's that uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, this kid couldn't make it across town to, to come hang out with the guy that invited him down. So I was a big jerk on that trip, and I just had a few too many to drink. But you know, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Matt has a flair for the dramatic, and I, it's a funny story, so I just go with it. So Matt always assumes really that there was a, a female that was involved over there, but unfortunately, uh, that is not necessarily true. I like to play. You know, radio, but I can't say that that's necessarily true. It's it's uh Sean invited me over for drinks and you know, having a few too many, uh where, you know, what's safe for me to get behind the wheel and meet up with Matt later that night.
1: Yeah, that's what Sean does. He does the same thing for me. He gets me the hotel room, he lures you into that place and then you can never leave. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Albert, right, I had know. an absolute blast with you my man. I really hope to see you. Are you coming up here for the Kentucky uh Ohio State game in December?
0: Uh, let's talk off-air. There's a there's a reasonable chance that it could happen.
1: Uh, we can oh, discuss that,
0: and we'll do an on-site podcast. You know.
1: My man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Aaron Torres, book, One and Fun, a behind-the-scenes look at John Calipari and the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. He asked if I read it in one sitting. I did. I had a 16-hour flight home from China, so obviously I finished the book. It really is a great book. I wouldn't have had him on if I didn't want to promote how good a Kentucky book it was. It gave you good insight about recruiting John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and him leaving well. I really recommend the book to anyone listening, especially if you're a Kentucky fan or if you hate Kentucky, because listen, spoiler alert, like the Titanic, they lose to West Virginia in the Elite Eight. Anyway, I'm setting up a podcast with Billy Moore. He was on Locked Up Abroad. He was the one who was in the Thai prison for a drug dealing. Completely different (laughs) set of shows. But listen, everyone, thank you for listening. Have a great day, and we'll end with some music.